contracts, intellectual property, labor law, and much more. Make up the, the wonderful world of entertainment law. Let's take a moment and learn about this vast area law. Lights, camera, action. And scene. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the third episode of End Scene and Entertainment Law Podcasts. I'm Tony Lee Costas. And I'm Evan Nara. And we are live here from, well, not not live, but we're <laughs> Live-ish. here. Live-ish. <laughs> Live-ish. We are here at ABC News in Tony's office on the sixth floor. Uh, a very, very, he, he is rivaling me here in the amount <laughs> of nerdy paraphernalia that he has. Uh, we're, we're very much one in the same. We have, we've got Funkos, we have Hot Toys, we have Bobbleheads, we have freaking, you know, Thanos' gauntlet and the Iron Gauntlet that was used to snap everybody back in. We got it's, it's, uh, to quote the great Jack Nicholson in Batman 1989, where does he get those wonderful toys? <laughs> and it's so, really cool, you know, David Muir is, is probably filming downstairs at yeah. six o'clock. Yeah. Um, so it's just, to be in this historic building podcasting you is know. this history in the making this, are we, you know it I mean, might be it, it could might be something be. let's hope so <laughs> uh so today we have a jam-packed show for you so you got to buckle up get ready and first we will be discussing the lady gaga dog theft lawsuit some crazy developments it's crazy there. a the streaming platforms pulling projects randomly and the south park paramount debacle that was recently filed in court and also the pending Supreme Court case of Jack Daniels Property versus VIP Products LLC and one of the amicus briefs that was filed for that case. And lastly, we'll wrap it up with our dream casting for a movie or someone that we want to have in a certain role. And as always, just a friendly reminder that we are lawyers, but we're not your lawyers. So of course, everything that's said in today's episode is not representative of our employers. It's purely opinion. So of course, Take it as such. Uh, we are very excited to talk about all these topics, but again, not representative of our employers. So you ready to get started, Evan? Let's do it. So let's talk about Lady Gaga. You know her. You love her. She was born this way, baby. Uh, Lady Gaga, also known as Stephanie Germanotta. Uh, that Ooh, was my Ita- that Italian. Yes, wow, yes, yes. Don't have on you, and then <laughs> we're going to go with... Uh, actually, I, I, t- totally, I took Italian. I totally forgot what it would be for Mr. Signore, 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 or we can call you Don Ivano, like uh, Don Coyon. Um, so Stephanie Germanotta, a remarkably talented artist. She's won so many Grammys. She's she's an actor as well. She was in, um, my God, A Star is Born. She was remarkable. Excellent. Just a, Just a gutting movie. Very, very good. Um, so what happened was her dog walker by the name of Ryan Fisher, he was shot on February 24th, 2021, uh, about two years ago, give mm-hmm. or take. Um, and Lady Gaga has these two bulldogs uh, named Koji and Gustav. Uh, they were taken uh, when, when his when the dog walker was shot. Uh, the dogs were taken, and Lady Gaga offered a five hundred thousand dollar reward to the individual that returned the dog. Uh, but the caveat here is that she said that there would be no questions asked upon the return. Right. She just wanted her dogs back. The good news is, first of all, before we even get into this, I believe Ryan Fisher is recovering, yeah, which is, is good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cra- Can you believe, you know, you're, you're already excited walking Lady Gaga's dogs and then the craziest thing happens to you. So what the lawsuit's all about 
It was brought by a lady by the name of Jennifer McBride, and she was involved in the shooting in some capacity. We will share that in a moment. Uh, but before we get into that, let's just talk about contract law. Okay, so in contract law, there's generally two types of contracts. We have the bilateral contract and the unilateral contract. And I think you know where I'm going with this, but just for those that don't know, a bilateral contract occurs when you have two parties exchanging promises to perform and fulfill one side of a bargain. So, you know, you think of things like a lease or an employment contract, both parties are performing here. A unilateral agreement is something a little bit different. So it's when one party puts out an offer and, you know, to a person or to the general public, and it usually, you know, usually rewards for turning someone or something in, uh, that's unilateral because it's not really directed at anyone. You're not asking anyone specific for performance, uh, like a bilateral contract. So. This offer was definitely unilateral. Mm -hmm. The 500,000 no questions Absolutely. asked. No question. Communicated on TMZ, on Gaga's Instagram, like it, it was pretty pretty well known. So back to Jennifer McBride. So she was an accomplice in stealing these dogs, right? She didn't she was not one of the people that was part of the holdup and part of the shooting, but she was dating the father of one of the assailants, one of the people that stole the dog. I think she needs a better choice in men, I would say. <laughs> just kidding, I'm just kidding. Uh, but in any event, so uh, she brought the dogs back to the police station, and she's here to collect. So basically her lawsuit is alleging three different, suit, or three different causes of action. Uh, financial damages, pain and suffering, which... Man, it's something, that, something we learned in torts, and you just throw it on the table. Uh, you don't really get Sometimes you get it. It works in some cases, but it, it's the kind of damages that are really, really, really open for interpretation. You're going to have to have a really, really good lawyer to be able to, uh, you know, finagle the system, I guess, to try to get that type of damages for sure. Uh, if you have a good lawyer. If a good lawyer, yeah. Uh, mental anguish and loss of enjoyment of life. And let me let me rewind a little bit. Uh, the, the three actual causes are breach of contract, fraud by false promise and fraud by misrepresentation. And the things I just shared, those four things, damages, pain and suffering, mental anguish, and loss of enjoyment of life, are kind of little components of those three big factors. Uh, and it's important to note that McBride was charged with possession of stolen property and an accessory to murder. Uh, but in December of 2021, she struck a plea deal. Uh, to dismiss the murder charge, and she was sentenced to two years of probation. So, which is kind of, which is crazy itself. I mean, that's pretty, pretty bananas. Yeah, I know. So, you have a criminally charged individual who, indisputably, was part of this in some capacity. Whether she was part of the holdup or not, she was aware of the stolen property. She was in possession of the stolen property, and here she is trying to collect what she's owed five hundred thousand dollars, no questions asked. That seems pretty, you know, evident, and it's communicated to the public. So we're kind of at a impasse here. You know, do you reward criminal behavior? Just imagine, you know, there's a, you, you shoot someone, God forbid, we're, you know, we're, we're not encouraging that at all. But if, if you shoot someone or you steal something and then you turn it into the police or, or who, whatever, uh, and then you get rewarded for it, what's to deter people from doing these crimes and just making a ton of money and then never getting caught. You hire a good lawyer, you hire Saul Goodman, and then you're <laughs> off, you know? Yeah. But on the other side, contract law is pretty illustrative here. You have a unilateral offer. It was clearly communicated no, to the it, public. It couldn't have been any clearer, for sure. Could not have been any clearer. And 
Lady Gaga did not pay. But I mean, again, there's that moral thing. Do you pay a person who was involved in the almost death of your beloved friend and your dog walker? And she was, I think she was in Rome filming House of Gucci, another Italian uh, film. You're whipping it today. Wow. <laughs> House of Gucci. Like and just imagine the stress. You know, she should be suing for mental anguish. Yeah. So what do you think, Tony, of Jennifer McBride and her chances of success here and your thoughts on the case as a whole? Well, I'm going to say it straight up. I think that this is your prototypical contract case that would be given to a fi- on a final exam. Uh, no questions asked. You can you can tell me otherwise. You know, we were talking about this beforehand where on one hand, you know, we have a moral issue mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, this is somebody who, you know, I mean, committed a crime for all intents and purposes. But then on the other hand, we if we weren't if we're trying to be very literal, very very literal, uh, this is as good as it gets when it comes to a satisfaction of a unilateral contract. But I think what you said earlier is really, really important. Are we in a position as a society to reward criminal behavior? Um, I think that we shouldn't, and I think that we should have a zero, zero tolerance policy for that. But, you know, this is like one of these typical fact patterns where it's like you throw in some type of unique monkey wrench and you ask yourself like, you know, will this hold will this hold any weight in in a court of law um if it were up to me i would not i would not give a reward here only because you know this is the same person uh that that's trying to benefit off of this i mean this feels like unjust enrichment as best as good as it gets i mean mm-hmm. in my opinion yeah we we don't have to get all philosoph- philosophical here yeah but i mean there there's a there's a term that we learned in in criminal law deterrence yep yep your your eyes lit up absolutely the reason we have punishment for crimes is to deter those from committing yeah, illegal things. Mm-hmm. And this isn't something that should be pro- uh, promulgated. You know, it's not good to steal someone else's property. And it doesn't matter that it's Lady Gaga. Like, it's just, it's not good. Um, so, you know, we can get philosophical here, but we'll avoid that. <laughs> it, it's just, again, I agree with you. I don't think she should get it either. Um, but we'll see if contract law will rule. Let's segue into a more lighter topic or not so really lighter topic but we'll talk about streaming and eventually get into south park um so ryan johnson is a favorite director of mine he you know him from knives out glass onion looper last jedi the guy has a very diverse and then he also has a show on uh peacock as well Mm -hmm. with natasha Mm leone uh he's mastered the art of whodunits and i really do enjoy his work um but this is a quote from The Hollywood Reporter, Ryan Johnson, in, in talking about streaming f- platforms removing content. And this has been a topic that we've been talking about for some time. We talk about Batgirl, uh, and, and, and I don't even think we talked about Westworld yet. No, we haven't. But no. for those that don't know, Westworld is an HBO uh, series and just finished the fourth season, and HBO pulled the plug on the fifth season and also removed... Westworld, which again is an HBO original series from the platform to avoid paying certain residuals. This was crazy news that came out a few months ago. Anyway, so here we are. We have Ryan Johnson quoting this from The Hollywood Reporter. He says, it's been horrifying. The fact that it's becoming common practice is terrible and adds to the awfulness. In the history of business, there has been a constant evolution of horrible things. 
all you can do as someone who makes stuff is ultimately put your faith in the notion that it, if you make something, it's going to find its audience. So it's a scary time, you know, for creators, for studios, well, more so for creators, where the hard work that they put in, we were talking about Batgirl, you know, all, all the editing and, and the crew and everything like that. And then the studio, whether we agree with their decision or not, they probably have their reasons, just ultimately scrap and, and pull the plug from underneath you. Uh, so it is kind of scary to think about. Um, but we do want to talk about this South Park and Paramount, talking about uh, taking a wager on things. I'll, I'll let Tony give you the background on this. Uh, it's a pretty good segue with a unique lawsuit. Yeah, it's it's a really, really wild case. So if you don't know, South Park is actually, if I'm not mistaken, the longest streaming uh, show in, or at least the longest streaming animated show in comedy history. Does it beat The Simpsons? I think it's up there with The Simpsons. And Family Guy too, probably. Family Guy, probably. But it's definitely up there. It's, it's like one of the longest ones. So uh, Matt, Matt Stone and Trey Parker are the creators of South Park, and they've just built a juggernaut of that franchise. Um, and as you know, if you if you watch South Park, it's available on uh, Comedy Central now. Um, but this lawsuit is between Warner Media and Paramount and South Park Digital Studios. And you're probably sitting there wondering, what is what does Warner Media have anything to do with this whatsoever? Well, it's actually because of a deal, or a lack thereof, which we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about in a moment, um, between Warner Media and South Park Studios uh, regarding exclusivity of South Park episodes. So in 2019, Matt Stone and Trey Parker were in the process of trying to figure out a place that would be the home of South Park. They had just renewed for an additional three seasons, 10 episodes per season. It would have run them through 26 episodes, an unprecedented total of 333 episodes, uh, more or less. Truly remarkable. But they wanted uh, an entity that would house the older content, the older South Park episodes, as well as all the newer episodes that were going to come to be. And, and you see this a lot. Like, I think Friends, Netflix owned the rights to Friends yep. for a long time. And, and there's a Seinfeld lot of... Seinfeld also is Seinfeld. another great example, too. A lot of money to be made in, in a lot of these reruns, these classic, uh, you know, TV shows. I remember King of Queens, too. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, 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 you know, to have the rights to have the old stuff, too, especially something like South Park that's kind of timeless and you don't need to follow a story. You could just pick up wherever. You know, there's a lot of money to be made there. Yeah, exactly. So... What happens? Uh, South Park uh, is courting suitors for a potential streaming deal. They get an offer from Warner Media to stream exclusively on HBO Max, which is the uh, new service that HBO was offering at that time. The deal was originally going to be a lump sum deal, but they decided to go for a per episode deal, flat fee. You want to take a guess at how much one episode was? A few hundred thousand. Not even. They quoted... 1.6 1.6 million dollars per episode oh my God. that is an astronomical fee so of course you know this how, how are you gonna you know how are you gonna compete with that that's what matt stone and trey parker wanted so they agreed to a flat fee per episode rate of 1.6 million dollars for all the past episodes but then for all the new episodes what after it street after it airs exclusively on comedy central it will go direct to HBO Max. Wait, hold on a second. So $1.6 million for even for old episodes? That's how much HBO is going to pay per episode? Per episode. 
That's how much they were going to pay per episode. Yes. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. Wow. So it would have mounted, if I'm doing the math roughly, it's nearly half a billion dollars. Yeah. Which is that, which is just an unconscionable and also an unprecedented number in terms of getting a streaming distribution deal. Sure. This is the part that's crazy. 2019, they agree to these terms, but they sign a term sheet, which if anybody doesn't know, if you're not in the licensing space, term sheets are basically kind of like a summary. Think of it like a memorandum that lays out the essence of what an agreement is going to look like. And, you know, it's going to say these are the distribution terms. These are the, uh, you know, this is going to be the the the, 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 fee, uh, the fee, the term. Uh, the, the credits uh, that you're gonna have to give everything. It's, it's pretty bare bones. Too. Yeah, it's it's a very lackluster few pages. Yeah, af- if that. I mean, sometimes they give you even one page. That's well, called a term sheet. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so it's for really, it's a it's a it's not even a fully enforceable agreement. And normally, when you look at a term sheet, it says this should not operate as an agreement right. unless you know. Well, I guess they would agree to otherwise. Well, anyway, all that to say, the uh, South Park Digital Studios people. And Warner Media never formalized these terms in an actual full-length contract. Mm-hmm. In fact, the complaint said that this is that the term sheet would operate as the contract, which is I, I don't even know what to say. To to have half a billion dollars and to treat the term sheet as the contract, right. the, the like that that to me, I hate to say it like this, but that's just poor lawyering. Yeah, it, it's it's careless, but I would say lazy too. That we've learned though, I mean. If the intents of the party are to enter into an agreement, and it seems like, you know, Matt and Trey and HBO wanted to get into this agreement, it could be read as a full agreement, even if it is poor lawyering. Yeah. So that's a wrinkle to be thrown in this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, anyway, they don't have an agreement signed, so they go for the term sheet. Then what happens in 2020? The world shuts down. Pandemic happens. So 24th season of South Park gets suspended. But uh, during this time, though, uh, Matt Stone and Trey Parker created two uh, pandemic specials uh, that were full-length specials, and they made sure that people knew that this had nothing to do with season 24. It was not a season 24 episode whatsoever. That's so South Park of Very South Park. To make pandemic episodes. Actually, I think one of them was called South Park, but the instead of the K in Park, it was a, a capital Q. Oh, my God. Uh, and I think it was the... South Park vaccination special. I think that's what they call it. Kenny, what the hell is this COVID stuff? <laughs> <laughs> See, Evan's coming back with the uh, impressions oh, by popular demand. <laughs> so anyway, all that to say that this really was uh, a wrinkle that added something to this uh, you know, agreement. So they produced these specials as, as if that weren't enough. To get those specials, HBO had to pay an additional fee. They had to pay $3.3 million for those specials. And then what happens in 2021, January 2021 comes, Paramount announces that they're going to launch their own streaming service, Paramount Plus, and their top priority is to get back the South Park library. They scout out every last resource that they can internally. They eventually use MTV as the get to bring them back home. And then uh, in August 2021, it's announced that South Park episodes are going to uh, live forever all the past episodes and all the future episodes are going to live forever on paramount plus and mtv helped strike a deal for nearly 900 million dollars and guys remember there's already a quote-unquote agreement that is in place with hbo to the point that even now matt stone said on the record you know we have quote f you money that's what he said this is just 
insane how this all happened. So, of course, Paramount starts put, posting these South Park episodes. HBO, uh, you know, Warner Media is really up in arms. So they file a complaint in the uh, Supreme Court here in New York in state court for breach of contract, unjust enrichment, and tortious interference with contract, among other allegations. And they're seeking damages in the amount of roughly $200 million. Now, we're both in the licensing space. We've dealt with these types of contracts. I just want your honest, candid opinion, Evan. Would you, like, how 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 bad does this look for Paramount at this point? And even South Park Digital Studios, but certainly how bad does this look that this all just happened? And, or even maybe, could you argue the same thing, you know, for Warner Media that they didn't even sign an actual contract, that they signed a term sheet here? Yeah, it's it's just everything that we learn not to do yeah, in law school. Exactly. And, and I also have to opine on the FU money that <laughs> that Matt Stone said. They also created Book of Mormon, too, right. which is one of the longer-running shows on Broadway, mm-hmm. which rakes in a ton of money as well. So they really do have an empire going, uh, although that's not related to South Park, yeah, per yeah. se. But in any event, yeah, it is kind of crazy. It, it, it's very much tortious interference, I think. And for those that don't know, tortious interference is basically when one party, you know, uh, when there's already an existing agreement with two parties and then a third party kind of comes in and takes away business from that already existing agreement. It's tortious interference. And I agree with you, Tony. I I think the complaint is very well stated by HBO. While it's not a full length contract and we don't recommend that that's the way to go, the intent of the parties was there. And I think you said HBO already started putting stuff on their platform. Yeah, they they had they were in the process of, I think, uploading all the old, old episodes. I, I'm pretty sure they were there already. I recall, yeah. I remember going on the HBO Max app and I saw South Park on there. So it was very much like a thing. And may I add that they weren't even making episodes. They were making what they called specials, mini events, almost like trying to create methods of circumventing an exercise of explicit clauses in Mm. this term sheet. Mm. So as it is, I feel that Trey Parker and Matt Stone are, I think, in a position where they're trying to figure out how can we back out of this deal already that we backed into? And, you know, is this a case of buyer's remorse? Is this a case of, uh, you know, we should have gotten more money? We should have capitalized a little bit more on the per episode rate or something like that. There could have been umpteen ways that they probably in their head are thinking how they could have capitalized better on this deal. And Paramount's not waiting either. I rem- there, there's a, a distinct Paramount commercial you may have seen. Oh, uh, yeah. Where they're all on like the... Uh, Is it on, the like, one a- with Sylvester Stallone where he's uh, jumping off the cliff? Uh, yeah, maybe. Hanging they're, off, yeah. They're like all on a cliff. Yeah. And, and I remember, I think Kenny... From South Park is on the cliff as well. Like all they, they they're kind of touting their IP portfolio. Something we spoke about last oh, week. Oh yeah, they're touting their IP portfolio. All the new content. You have Yellowstone on there and whatnot. And it's not like Paramount's waiting. Like where they're not. They just went you know straight ahead. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, let me just put it to you this way: This is not a good look for Paramount whatsoever. Um, you know, they hire, it looks like Warner Media hired a smaller uh, law firm for this uh, complaint, which is, you know, they did a great job with this complaint. And I think that this is going to serve as a cautionary tale for every single person out there that is making content and is trying to secure a distribution deal with the streaming platform. And kind of going back to the top where we were talking about Ryan Johnson and his comments, mm-hmm. I mean, those are harrowing words that I think are equally should equally serve as a cautionary tale for streaming platforms when they're trying to build an IP portfolio and make something out of out of what they have. So certainly, you know, this is 
This is a to-be-determined type of case. Uh, this complaint was only filed uh, fairly recently, so we don't have an answer yet from the uh, South Park people and certainly from Paramount or MTV. But this is the case to watch in 2023, mark my words. And now we have another great case that we want to talk about as well, this Jack Daniels and VIP products case. So we talked about this a lot. I remember you were so excited to send foaming me. Foaming at the mouth. Foaming. <laughs> foaming. Send me, and, and, you know, it's funny. We, we talked about a related case in your intellectual property class. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, and I'll allow Tony to really lay out the facts, uh, but this is in the Supreme Court. It's pending in the Supreme Court, and it's really a case about fair use and First Amendment expression. Um, and there is some case law that is precedent that is on the side of VIP products. And I will let you take it away on. Yeah, this is a fascinating case. This is one of the more unique Supreme Court cases that is going to be heard uh, this term. This is involving a dog toy company called VIP Products that is in the business of making parody dog toys. One of their dog toys that they have is shaped like a Jack Daniels bottle, and it's called Bat Spaniels instead of Jack Daniels, Bat Spaniels, ha, ha, ha. Everybody (laughs) gets it. So... Of course, uh, Jack Daniels gets wind of this. They're up in arms, uh, and they file a lawsuit for trademark infringement. And the reason is because the design of the bottle, the Jack Daniels bottle, is registered as trade dress in the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. So for anybody that doesn't know, trade dress is an extension of trademark law, and it protects the product design, packaging, decor, uniforms, or, or locations that are used to further the source identification of goods and services. And we always talk about this example, the Tiffany... Uh, color the blue right so like for, it's, it's blue it's like so jade actually color so that that would operate as a color mark but it's trade you, dress as well but you well you could argue actually the the white bow on a tiffany box is better trade dress in addition to the uh to the the blue box trade dress is just something that signifies like you know where it's coming from yeah. you know the brand like for example if you walk into an apple store you know you walk into an apple store because yep. they always have those islands and they always have the computers yep well the design the genius bar right the layout of an apple store is registered Registered as trade dress in the USPTO for right. that reason. Right. Um, so that's the essence of trade dress. So they're arguing, and I, and I should also add, you're seeing trade dress pop um, pop up left and right, and it's becoming way more popular, especially among sneaker brands yeah. where they're registering, you know, the design of those sneakers as source identifiers. So anyway, the uh, the the trade dress of the Jack Daniels bottle is registered in the USPTO, and of course, Jack Daniels says that's a direct infringement. The argument for uh, VIP products is that it's not an infringement. They're arguing that this expression under First Amendment is protected. It's not an infringement of the trademark whatsoever. Um, and originally, this went to the District of Arizona District Court and was ruled in favor of Jack Daniels. Uh, VIP products appealed the decision to the Ninth Circuit, and the Ninth Circuit sided with VIP products. And then here we are um, a few months later where uh, Jack Daniels filed a petition to the Supreme Court to hear this case, and they've accepted it. So now the question becomes, is this a case of trademark infringement, or is this protection under the First Amendment? And um, the reason why we're talking about this is, one, the hearings are actually three weeks away, so they're going to happen on Wednesday, March 22nd. We're going to hear oral arguments before the Supreme Court. But number two, there's a fascinating uh slew of different uh, amicus briefs that have been filed for this case, but one of them came from none other than Mischief. If anybody is a sneakerhead or a fashion fashion brand or um, a, you know aficionado or even an art fan, 
Mischief is the brand that is known to kind of have these out there designs. Uh, they're frequently involved in a lot of infringements. So they filed an amicus brief where they submitted 45 connect the dots puzzles for the justices and their clerks to fill out and then return to Mischief by way of consignment to have as part of an art show that Mischief was going to host. And the these are, I mean, I did a few of them. They're hysterical. They have like BDSM NM. So it's basically an M&M character that looks like it's in, like in BDSM gear. Uh, there was one that looks like a water bottle that has the Amazon Smile logo, but it says P because of the whole um, bathroom debacle. Amazon workers, apparently they're not allowed to go on uh, bathroom breaks. So they have all these different logo uh, connect the dots that parody off of logos. And their argument is that this is First Amendment expression. There's no violation of trademark whatsoever if you're expressing it in an artistic fashion. And I'll say this, I understand that argument, but at the same time, this feels more like the Chewy Vuitton case, where that was about using parody as a defense to trademark infringement. Uh, the, the the Chewy Vuitton case, exact same fact pattern. Uh, the, there was this, uh, it was a Hot Diggity Dog versus Louis Vuitton. Louis Vuitton went after a dog toy company for making a Chewy Vuitton dog toy, said that it infringes on the Louis Vuitton trademark and, you know, the design and so on and so forth. And the, the the people that created the Chewy Vuitton dog toy were able to argue, hey, this is, for all intents and purposes, this is not an infringement because this operates as a parody. It's original, but it's also making fun of the real deal. So very unique story. Um, you know, I, I, think, uh, I, I think this is just highlighting all the more how, um, you know, these types of cases kind of get recycled. But it's interesting to see that this has gone before the Supreme Court because this is a bit more unique of the typical IP cases and uh, I'm interested to see what they think of uh, dog toys in this case. Just imagine Justice Sotomayor doing a connect the dots of BDS M&M <laughs> is really going to be ingrained in my mind for quite some time. Uh, yeah, that's that's very interesting. And, and for those that don't know, um, I say amicus, you say amicus, tomato, tomato. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but a, an, an amicus brief is basically a party that's not part of the lawsuit, but bringing like you know kind of supporting a certain side exactly you commonly see this among like you know experts or law school professors or you know they they basically provide a um it's actually a friend of the court if you're translating it amicus uh, curae i think is the latin term friend of the court where they're basically making a plea on behalf of one of the parties and they say well you should rule in favor of this person because of X, Y, and Z, or you should rule in favor of that person because of X, Y, and Z. Right. I don't think they hold any legal weight per se. Not at they all. They just are helping to, you know, it's kind of persuading the judges to rule a certain way. Absolutely. And, and it looks really good on your behalf if you have a lot of amicus brief in, in support of your motion and yeah. your position mm-hmm. because it shows that a lot of people agree with you. Yeah. Uh, so very, very interesting. Uh, we will see how that turns out. We'll probably have an update for you in in three weeks, we'll yeah, we'll chat about uh, we'll that. probably do a recap on it. Uh, I'm waiting with bated breath. That's going to be a very interesting case. And one thing I'll say is, uh, I will guffaw from here till kingdom come if one of the justices says, "Hey, I did one of the connect the dots." <laughs> That's going to be a fun one. Very excited. And what's interesting about also cases before the Supreme Court is that you're not there's no video. Oh yeah, it's only audio. <laughs> did you you knew this? Yes, right? I did know this. I yeah, Oyes is the website. Yes, I went on that plenty of times during con law. <laughs> 
and you can hear the sound recording and you you'll see who's speaking and it's pretty cool how they have it set up but yeah you're it's not recorded so it's it's very very interesting the fact that this is all the way up to the supreme court's the highest court in the land very very interesting and will set precedent for years to come absolutely and lastly our fun topic is to talk about our dream casting uh not maybe not for a movie in particular but just maybe an actor that you would like to see in a certain role. Uh, so Tony, why don't you go ahead? So uh, I was debating it back and forth and I wanted to kind of zero in on a film franchise that's kind of near and dear to me. So of course I'm going to go with Spider-Man. Um, as I mentioned before, Batman is my favorite comic book character of all time, but Spider-Man is my favorite Marvel character of all time. And I think mainly it's because Peter Parker grew up in Queens and I grew up in Queens more specifically, uh, Peter Parker grew up in Forest Hills. My grandfather was in Forest Hills. So, you know, it's a very near and dear connection to me. And we've seen, you know, Marvel Studios do an excellent job uh, kind of providing a unique narrative of Peter Parker growing up into this, you know, very um, very determined and will, uh, has a good willpower as a, as a superhero. Um, and now with the events of Spider-Man No Way Home, it's kind of like a hard reset on sure. the Spider-Man character, so it's going to be unique to see the next, you know, next um, uh, trilogy, I guess, of Spider-Man films that we could expect. So naturally, that makes me think of the villains that are going to come from Spider-Man. Spider-Man has probably one of the best rogues gallery of villains you're going to ever ask. I mean, we have Mysterio here on the desk, um, kind of highlighting just exactly that point, just the palette of different villains that are in that comic book. But I want to. I wanted to cast a character that we really haven't seen in any Spider-Man film, and uh, it's actually been fairly new to the lore of of uh, Spider-Man comics, and certainly was on full display in the Spider-Man PS5 game, mm. which is Mr. Negative. Um, I would love to see Ki Hua Kwan, if, I, if I'm pronouncing it right. Uh, Ki Hui Kwan. Ki Hui Kwan. I would love to see him as the, the guy to play um, Mr. Negative. He's done an excellent job just rebounding his career. Um, his wins from you know everything everywhere all at once. It's just a perfect display of what a great actor he is. Um, you know, even his speeches, like like I listen to his, his him as a as a person, and I think to myself, how can somebody not hire him as an actor for another movie? So to me, he would make for a great villain, and I think uh, he, he just would do an, a, a formidable excellent just great job all around well, we've never really seen him in the villain role either so yeah. but you know mr negative in the video game kind of has like a tenderness to him too. yeah i think he's like an altruistic guy yes absolutely but there's this alter ego so i'd be curious to see i agree with you uh kiwi in the role would be really awesome uh, and he's really just living up in the in the Oscar moments. He's taking selfies with everyone and their mother. His SAG. Did you listen to his SAG speech, yep. by the way? Yeah. Very, very touching. I, I'm moved to tears every time yeah, I hear him talk. I mean, if talk about humility in Hollywood, you don't see that often. But really, kudos to that guy. He really deserves all the success in the world. I, I like that casting a lot. So I'll keep it in the Marvel realm. Uh, and Tony has not heard my choices yet. So this, this is genuine Raw reaction. reaction. Raw oh, reaction. I cannot wait. All right, ready for this? Yes. I would have liked to see Denzel Washington as Nick Fury. I could see that. What do you think? That's, I love that, actually. So, so for those that don't know, or maybe you do know, Samuel L. Jackson is Nick Fury. I think Samuel L. has the gravitas. You know, he he, he, he turns it on. You've seen him in Pulp Fiction and, you know, know him for 
I'm not going to say the phrases that he <laughs> says, but you know you know what I'm talking. Check out the big brain on bread. <laughs> and that's all I'm going to say. He, he's iconic. Um, but I would love Denzel is also a great actor as well. And I would love to see him in that role, too, because he could turn it on, too. Well, I was going to say, watch Training Day. And that's. Uh, oh, I've seen it. <laughs> King Kong ain't got <laughs> nothing on me. On me. So that's my first one. My second one, and I'm almost done with Breaking Bad, so that I'm kind of on a Brian Cranston kick. Brian Cranston as Norman Osborn instead of Willem Dafoe. I love that. What do you think? I love that. Absolutely. You've seen Breaking Bad. Oh, yeah. He could really turn on the villain chops. But he's also so, uh, he has like a sense of je ne sais quoi, too. He's kind of like a, a really dashing kind of guy, too. So that duality that Norman Osborn has as the Green Goblin. And we've seen him as a dad in Malcolm in the Middle, too. So yes. he has that softer side, too. And absolutely, I could totally see that. So that is the end of our third episode of Scene Entertainment Law Podcast. We are currently in Tony's office here at ABC News. Uh, but we still would like to thank PNT Network. Yeah, we're always thankful for the p- fine people at PNT Network. Always thanks to Search and Felicia for um, just always being so accommodating. We hope to be back in the studio next uh next week for our next episode but in the meantime always check out pnt network knitwear podcast and, and uh, bookstore located at 180 orchard street in the lower east side and a thank you again to my cousin hunter zarin for the theme song that we love so much and i think that's the end well we have also want to thank the people we can't we can't leave without thanking them thank you for listening to this episode of end scene if you have any questions or comments you can always reach out to us at all platforms at end scene pod twitter TikTok, uh, Instagram, and until next time, end scene. scene.